What is progressive about poverty? As of 2019, Vermont ranks 49th in the nation for private sector total compensation, which includes wages and benefits. The state's workforce has shrunk by 15,000 since 2009. How did we get here? Politicians on the left, like Vermont State Auditor Doug Hoffer, claims that this outmigration and declining workforce trend is not due to Vermont's specific policies. It is because people in general prefer warmer states, especially retirees. He is absolutely wrong. We are in this dire economic predicament because of Vermont-specific legislation, so-called progressive policies that impoverish Vermonters. And the legislature promises to make things only worse next year. The left tried to mandate a $15 minimum wage and paid family leave this year, but failed, which means that they will definitely try again and are likely to achieve these goals, especially if Governor Phil Scott decides that he wants to run again. I can't imagine how he can afford to oppose these measures, given that he enjoys a 56% approval rating with Democrats and a mere 15% with Republicans. So he will have to appeal to Democrats and progressives to maintain their support, and that means going along with their anti-economic growth agenda. In this episode, we will look at how Montpelier engages in a systematic impoverishing of Vermonters, how politicians love to raise the specter of institutional racism to distract from their anti-economic agenda. And to conclude, I'll explain why I agree with Vermont's new executive director of racial equity, that the state needs a demographic change. On my TV show, Dialogues with Meg Hansen, I interviewed David Coates and asked him to comment on the state of Vermont's economy. I also asked him if he agrees with Vermont State Auditor Doug Hoffer's claim that the out-migration trend is normal and not a consequence of Vermont-specific policies. Coates is a retired managing partner at KPMG, a prestigious accounting firm, and he's also a member of the Vermont Business Roundtable. This is what he had to say. Uh, not really, not at all as a matter of fact. I, I think the declining workforce is a lot of factors at play. Okay. Uh, number one, you look at the fact that over the last 10 years, we've had a 25% decrease in college graduate, high school graduates. Okay. I mean, that's a lot of people now that aren't in the system. Right. Employers are begging for workers, trained workers, and we can't provide them because mm-hmm. people are leaving the state of Vermont. And when you look at data, actual data, mm-hmm. for the last six, five years, excuse mm-hmm. me, from the IRS, yeah. we have a net migration of people, tax filers, leaving right. the state of Vermont taking with them $270 million of adjusted gross income. Wow. And that equates, in my calculations, to at least $30 million a year mm-hmm. that we are losing from that group. Over 4,000 tax, fair, uh, tax filers mm-hmm. have left. 
-hmm. in that last five years. And I look at 2017 data, which is, should be coming out soon, mm -hmm. which will continue that. Now, mm -hmm. going back 10 years ago, what I think the auditor is referring to was about right, about as many would come in and as many would okay. leave. Okay. So it was about a zero at the end. Okay. However, now it's gone the other way, and I think that trend will only continue because of the affordability in Vermont, as well as the federal tax policies that went into effect last year, mm -hmm. and things like that. And so there are Vermont-specific policies, like you said. We talked about the unfunded liabilities. Someone has to pay that. It seems like in the 90s, um, the legislature did not completely fund it, and so they've kicked the can down the road. And so now future Vermonters don't want to have to carry that extra burden. Then we have Act 250, which has been shackling the hands of commerce and is anti-economic development in many ways because it's not just about giving entry-level jobs. You want to have careers. You want young people to be able to have careers, save money, buy a house. Sure. And the high cost of living, the overvalued housing market, and then education spending. All these things are Vermont-specific policies. Right? Well, yes, we rank very high on a per capita basis on many of the things you just said. Right. But just an, as an example, Meg. Yes. If you go back to the last legislative session, right. paid family leave. Yes. Now, that failed to take into account, in my opinion, yeah. the fact that we have multi-state companies in, the, in Vermont mm -hmm. that have policies already, not policies as rich, if you want to use that word, as the one that was contemplated, particularly by the House. Yeah. And to the extent something like that is forced on those employers, where do you think they're going to grow? They aren't going to grow in Vermont. That's right. And I know examples of those. Are there any statistics that support the out-migration? There are a lot, but I think probably the most important one, other than the IRS that I mentioned, uh -huh. is the VPR poll, the Vermont okay. Public Radio poll, that happened, I think, last January. Okay. And they polled the state, and 9% of the, of the people they polled said they were definitely leaving the state of Vermont. And another 4% said that they likely would. Okay. Now when you break that down between the 18-year-olds to the 44-year-olds, the prime people that we need for our workforce. The future of our state. The future of our state. 21% yeah. said that they were definitely leaving the state of Vermont and another 10 said they were unsure, oh. but they likely would. Now that's devastating in my opinion. Absolutely. This critical information, outlined by Coates, is by no means new. The people in power know about it, they just don't care. Vermont politicians on the left, but many on the right as well, are far more interested and far more invested in virtue signaling than in economic realism. They are stubbornly steadfast in refusing to accept the negative economic consequences of the policies that they implement. Why? Because you cannot reason someone out of a position that they were never reasoned into. Far-left, so-called progressive ideology informs Montpelier's legislative agenda. My friend and colleague Patrick Gleason writes about state policies and politics for Forbes magazine. In April this year, he wrote an article, the link to which you can find in the episode's description, about Vermont's push to implement a $15 minimum wage. Vermont legislators 
last raised the state's minimum wage in 2014 to $10.78. Now they are focused on increasing it to $15 per hour, which would be a nearly 40% hike from the current level. Gleason shares extensive evidence collected from states like California that have already mandated a $15 minimum wage, as well as research by Vermont's own think tank, the Ethan Allen Institute, which proves that artificially increasing the minimum wage will hurt, one, senior citizens, two, rural communities, three, young families with childcare expenses, and four, it will make entitlement programs more expensive, thereby increasing the tax burden on all Vermonters. Before we discuss the data that proves how increasing the minimum wage will hurt these vulnerable groups, please keep in mind that no amount of facts will prevent this policy from becoming law in Vermont. If not in 2020, then it will happen in 2021 or 2022 or thereafter. Only when Vermonters vote for lawmakers who are not blinded by ideology will any of this information begin to matter. The vast majority of Vermonters who live in households that are classified as poor are seniors living on Social Security, social safety net programs, and other sources of fixed income. Artificially increasing the minimum wage results in an increase in the price of goods and services. Raising the cost of living in Vermont will therefore directly and negatively hurt seniors living on a fixed income. In addition, the Vermont Department of Disabilities Aging and Independent Living warned lawmakers that a $15 minimum wage would cost Medicaid nearly $42 million more and Medicare around $9 million more. So how will the state find these extra millions to cover the increased costs of these programs? With higher taxes and by cutting services. Once again, Vermont seniors will have to bear the brunt of this ideologically informed policy. It bears mentioning here that Vermont is the second oldest state in the nation. In addition to seniors, minimum wage increases will also limit the ability of young families to afford childcare services. This is because at present, most childcare workers in Vermont tend to earn less than $15 an hour. The Vermont Joint Fiscal Office calculated that a couple working full-time in minimum wage jobs with one child would see an annual income increase by $1,155 in the first year of the proposed minimum wage increase, but they would lose $1,334 in benefits. The net economic impact, therefore, would be negative. The Vermont Legislature's Joint Fiscal Office crunched numbers and concluded that mandating a $15 minimum wage increase would result in a 3.3% loss of minimum wage jobs between the years 2028 and 2050. So this policy, which is allegedly intended to help low-income earners, will in fact result in a loss of low-income jobs. 
and therefore hurt the very group that it's supposed to help. And as a result of this job loss, the $15 minimum wage will also negatively impact the state's GDP. Talk about kicking Vermont's economy while it is already down. Further, Rob Roper, the president of the Ethan Allen Institute, indicates that the industries that will be most negatively affected by minimum wage increases are hospitality and food services, retail, agriculture, forestry, fishing, and hunting. Roper said, quote, this is a pretty good description of a huge part of Vermont's economy and we do not have Silicon Valley here to compensate, end quote. So here we have it, folks. Vermont's lawmakers are actively embarking on an agenda that will economically hurt the vast, vast majority of Vermonters. But to distract from what they are doing to the state's economy, the political class, aided by the media, keep banging the drum about a non-existent evil boogeyman, racism. So last year, the legislature created a brand new cabinet-level position the executive director of racial equity and hired 30-year-old Miss Davis from New York City to fill the position. She will of course be paid by taxpayer funds. Davis will work with the new five-member racial equity advisory panel to identify and address systemic racism in Vermont. Hmm. In an interview with the Vermont Digger website, Davis said the following, quote, When I was apartment hunting, one of the places I was looking at, a neighbor across the street had a huge Confederate flag hanging outside his home and sort of stared me down as I walked up the driveway. But then, three streets over, there are pride flags galore and people who appear to be going out of their way to be making eye contact with me and smile. I see Vermont as a place that is excited for a demographic change, end quote. I've lived in Vermont nearly a decade in different parts, and I've traveled extensively across the state. I have never once seen a Confederate flag anywhere. To which some will say, so what, Meg? That was your experience. She had an entirely different one. Okay, sure, I understand. And I'm not contesting the truth of her claim. All I'm saying is that the beauty about anecdotes is that you never need any evidence to prove them. I would like to emphasize another point here. Publicly signaling allegiance to the LGBTQ movement says nothing about the content of your character. Waving a pride flag does not ipso facto make you a virtuous and wonderful being. You have to earn that by your actions. Oh, and speaking of the Confederate flag, Hillary Clinton has been photographed in a room with it when she was the First Lady of Arkansas. No one had a problem with that because for decades, people accepted the Confederate flag as a symbol of Southern culture. But the South lost the Civil War, and so Southerners don't get to call the shots. In recent years, the Confederate flag has been fashioned as a symbol of white supremacy, the KKK, and equivalent to the Nazi swastika, which is perfectly in line 
with the left's self-serving and reductive take on American culture, especially that of the South, and its insistence that racism is in white America's DNA, as Barack Obama once proclaimed, all of which I find absolutely nauseating. According to Davis, the state of Vermont is excited for a demographic change, the implication being that Vermont is too white and that being white is not okay. In response to that, I'd like to share a story about my grandparents who immigrated to Texas from India. My grandfather was a professor, he had a PhD in chemical engineering, and my grandmother was a homemaker. After my mom passed away, they served as surrogate parents for a while. To them, Texas was America, and America was Texas. Never once did they ever face any racism whatsoever. On the contrary, they absolutely loved how friendly Texans are. My grandmother would love to go to the mall or to the park for walks, and she really enjoyed people watching. She never got over how everyone who passed her by would say hi, hello. She'd always talk about how wonderful and friendly and warm Americans are as opposed to Indian people. The only white people who have ever shown any negativity to any member of my extended family has been my experience with white leftists in Vermont who have attacked me publicly in ugly ways simply because I subscribe to right-of-center views. So, going by my lived experience, the only racists in America are the leftists in Vermont. And therefore, I would wholeheartedly support a demographic change. I sincerely hope that Texans and other warm and friendly Southerners move to the Green Mountain State. And that's a wrap for today. Write to me at megpodcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook, on my Facebook page, Dialogues with Meg Hansen, where you can watch interviews from my TV show. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes or online on SoundCloud. New episodes every Tuesday with bonus Thursday thoughts. Until next time, I'm Meg Hansen and you've been listening to Writing What's Left.